This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, the first football game yesterday was kind of a snooze. The Philadelphia Eagles heading back to the Super Bowl after annihilating the San Francisco 49ers 31-7. to You know, it's funny in pro football, you can watch a team week after week roll over its opponents, as the 49ers were doing, and then suddenly they themselves get clobbered, uh, either because they have a bad day or they're up against a tough defense or just because they play a better team. Uh, I saw that with the Buffalo Bills, who had a good season and ended up getting blown out in a snowstorm at their home stadium uh, by Cincinnati. But the game last night, Kansas City Chiefs and Cincinnati Bengals, was riveting. There were so many points at which the game could have gone either way. You had Patrick Mahomes, who still hobbled by a sore ankle, could barely get out of the pocket, got thrown for a loss a lot. So that was a big disadvantage, big disadvantage uh, for the Chiefs. And yet, you know, he's gotten this reputation as a guy who always finds a way to win. And just when Cincinnati uh, had fallen apart, uh, behind, I should say, not apart, uh, it was 13 to 3. And then it got a little closer, and, you know, there were turnovers on both sides, and it just was a really uh, evenly matched football game. Then, comes down to it, in the final couple of minutes, Kansas City gets a huge break. And by the way, even though he basically was playing on one leg, Mahomes went 29 for 43, 326 passing yards, two touchdowns. But then there was this crucial play where he couldn't find a receiver and he had to run for a first down, even on his bum leg. He got that and there was also, when he went out of bounds, there was a late hit by a Bengals player. Stupidest penalty of all time because he's already out of bounds. The clock has stopped. And yet that was ruled unnecessary roughness by the refs gave uh, the Chiefs 15 more yards, making a field goal much easier, and then they win it 23-20. to 20. It was just a great game. And now the Super Bowl hype, the two weeks of Super Bowl hype, will begin. Uh, you know, I can't stop thinking about this item. I guess it was an interview in the Washington Post with Marie Kondo. I, I know that all of the women listening know exactly who Marie Kondo is, and the guys listening are sort of have a vague idea that she uh, is somebody who, by the way, made millions of dollars with books and Netflix about how to declutter your home. You know, and if you just do this and you just do that, you're going to have this nice, tidy, wonderful home. Well, after establishing this brand, she now tells the Washington Post, you know, screw that. I don't have time to tidy up my house anymore because I have three kids, which, by the way, is totally understandable. Quote, my home is messy, but the way I'm spending my time is the right way for me at this time, at this stage of my life. Up until now, I was a professional tidier, so I did my best to keep my home tidy at all times. I have kind of given up on that in a good way for me. Now I realize what is important 
to me is enjoying spending time with my children at home. So there's just a little bit of sort of never mind. Yeah, now I've got three children. I see how hard it is. Okay, I've made my money and I'll just be like everybody else, you know, toys all over the floor and uh, didn't get a chance to clean the uh, the high chair from the apple sauce spit up or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she's a very nice lady. She's obviously a very smart lady, but she is out of the Marie, Marie Kondo is out of the Marie Kondo business. Uh, on a much more serious note, um, there was a lot of attention in the last couple of days, and we talked about this on Media Buzz yesterday. By the way, where are my manners? I'm supposed to say, because it's Monday morning, that I hope you had a great weekend and that I hope you had a chance to see Media Buzz. I was very proud of that show. We tackled a lot of topics, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, and the segments are online. What was I thinking? Well, I was just sort of got carried away by football, I guess. Anyway, um, the guy who attacked Paul Pelosi and the conspiracy theories that surrounded this, especially, and I played this on the show with that NBC report raising questions about, well, just what were they doing for a half hour together before the police arrived? You know, insinuating, implying, or just outright questioning whether or not they knew each other, whether there was some sort of uh, pre-existing relationship, some of this was homophobic. I mean, the garbage, the crap that got spread when we knew what happened. This is not a whodunit. The guy confessed, David DePap. He confessed on video to the police officers that he not only went after Paul Pelosi with a hammer and therefore, um, you know, fractured his skull and Pelosi had to be rushed to the hospital and he's lucky to be alive, but that he wanted to kneecap Nancy Pelosi. That was his, the reason he broke into the San Francisco home. So now that the footage has come out and we see the guy actually, you know, pounding on, I guess, the back door, the back window, you see all the glass flying, and then you see him. The police are there. I don't understand why they couldn't have moved more quickly, but you see him um, literally attacking this 82-year-old husband of a congresswoman before the police can intervene. And it just it just makes clear beyond the shadow of a doubt what happened. And then you had DePap calling in from jail to station KTVU. Talk about no remorse. He said, well, I have to apologize to everyone because I didn't do a better job. I didn't get more of them. He had other Democrats he wanted to go after. So Elon Musk uh, was asked, since he had linked to a conspiracy-minded paper about what really happened uh, to say he was sorry. And he said, I apologize. And I give him credit for that. He didn't say much more than that, but he said, I apologize. Okay, story number one. I cannot stop thinking about the heartbreaking, gut-wrenching tragedy surrounding the death of Tyree Nichols in Memphis. And I apologize for mispronouncing his name on Friday, but you just look at this. Is a 29-year-old guy. He has a son. He has a job where he works two shifts. He lives with his mom. He has no criminal record. There is no reason for what happened with these five Memphis cops, and he winds up dead after a routine traffic stop. You know, I had uh, Gianno Caldwell on my show, and I said to him, like, how is this even possible? And he said, you know, that black men grow up knowing that they've got to be careful 
in this arena. And he, he said something that just sort of grabbed me by the throat. He said when he goes down to get his driver's license picture taken, he wears a suit and tie because if he gets stopped, he doesn't want to be in a picture of a, in a hoodie or something. He wants the officers to know that he's an upstanding citizen. It's something that, you know, we white people never even have to think about. And the release of that video, which the police chief in Memphis, C.J. Davis, who's also black, warned us was horrifying, was in fact unbelievably horrifying. You know, there were several different angles um, to the body cam footage and then one from up high on a lamppost or something where you could just see these five police officers. This guy's defenseless. He's down on the ground. You know, there's no definition under which he's resisting arrest. He can't. And they are kicking him, uh, kicking him in the head, using a baton on him, beating him, punching him. It is just so difficult to watch. And then he dies three days later from his injuries. And the question comes up because this makes, I mean, on the one hand, you could say, okay, the system worked. And here's what I mean by that. Unlike in some past cases where they w- it would drag on for months and months and months, more than a year before you even got to see the evidence if there was video in the case, everything here happened quickly thanks to C.J. Davis, which is to say, uh, after an initial misleading report based on whatever BS uh, these officers uh, told their department, they were fired. They were charged with second-degree murder as well as kidnapping and a bunch of other defenses. And the video was released on Friday night. So when the Nichols family is interviewed and CNN's Don Lemon got the first interview and and did a really good job, though at one point he said, yeah, my mom is a boy too. Um, With the mother, Rovon Wells, um... She was saying there shouldn't be any violence. They were very worried, obviously, in Memphis and in other cities about violent demonstrations as a result of this gruesome and appalling footage where two of the cops even high-fived each other. It was truly despicable and disgusting. As the police chief said, utter lack of humanity. And, you know, the lawyers for the family go down there. It's Ben Crump, as usual, and Al Sharpton always shows up and then you know, has the people on his show. And they praised the handling of this as a model. They said this happened all so quickly and the police department, the upper echelons of the police department doing the right thing, including disbanding this elite Scorpion unit that these five officers uh, uh, belong to that was supposed to have more leeway because they were sort of in the hood and dealing with violent crime. That they said other cities should follow what Memphis did. And I think that was really important. And I think it was a contributing factor to the fact that despite some scattered incidents and there were demonstrations, um, that we did not see a lot of violence as a result. But then you come back to this central question. Is it racism if it's five black police officers and one black civilian? And I've listened very carefully to African-American voices on this. And What they say is that, what some of them at least say, is that black police officers themselves are often looked at 
with great skepticism by the black community because, in their view, they are um, upholding a system. I'm not going to use the phrase white supremacy, but they're upholding a system in which there are questionable police tactics, well, to say the least in this case. Um, So they don't get the respect from the black community. Also, they may have their own prejudicial view of black citizens. In other words, would if these same five black police officers had stopped a white guy under all the same circumstances, would this have happened? I, it's hard to imagine that it would have. And so the police chief was asked, she says, well, this takes race off the table, but it does raise questions about how we view the community and how we interact with the community. And I said to Gianna Colwell on Media Buzz, because this has just been driving me nuts, you know, these five officers, you know, who are presumed innocent and they'll get a trial, these five officers knew about what happened with George Floyd in Minneapolis. They knew about what had happened with Eric Garner on Staten Island. They know the history of what happens when a, I hate to even use the word suspect, when somebody is in police custody or confronted by police and dies. And they're all wearing body cameras. Like they know this footage. We don't see everything. We didn't see the initial stop, but they know that this is going to be viewed someday. That's the era we're in. And they still did it. And they did it with just unbelievable brutality. It was relentless. And then it took 20 minutes plus to get an ambulance. Why? And that's the question I put to Giano. And he said they thought they could get away with it. And it was like a light bulb went off. Yeah, you know, police protect police and uh, they could make up a story. You heard them like sort of getting worried about it and saying, well, he tried to get my gun. I mean, it just looks to me to be complete and total bullshit. And so even in the case of black officers and a black victim, um, this one is hard to take. Yes, the system worked. Yes, they did everything right. Yes, there hasn't been any other violence. But that doesn't bring back Tyree Nichols. Uh, Here's the mom quoted uh, as saying, it makes it even harder to swallow because they are black and they know what we have to go through. And the Washington Post story is saying this has been a complex grappling among black activists and advocates for police reform, which, by the way, you know, may have been implemented at local department level, but, you know, even after the riots, the terrible violence uh, following the George Floyd murder, um, you know, Congress didn't pass anything, as usual. It was gridlock. Um, Here is Rich Lowry in National Review saying the situation would have been entirely different if those officers had been white. Um, Race shouldn't make a difference, but, you know, if they had been white, there would have been an uproar around the country, there would have been serious violence, people would have been hurt, perhaps killed. Um, Major institutions would weigh in and say that, you know, America's racist and all of that. Now, I take his point that it would be the usual narrative. But on the other hand, they were not white, and these things didn't happen. But I think if they had been white and the police department did all these same things to the point where the, you know, the Ben Crumps of the world 
would go and say, this is the way it's supposed to go. This is the way it should be done. This was done quickly. This is a model. I think it's an open question of whether there would have been violence on the streets of a lot of major American cities, especially Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Story number two. So I got into a debate on the show yesterday with Will Kane, the co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend, about classified documents. And he went right after me, based on my opening monologue, which I call My Two Cents. You know, with inflation, it's got to be up to four or five cents by now. Um, And I welcome that. I I like having these kinds of debates on the air, as long as people aren't yelling at each other and talking over each other and, you know, calling each other names. So what I said was, you know, with Mike Pence having been found having classified documents, that the tone of the media coverage has changed. And I said, look, journalists know Mike Pence wasn't trying to do anything nefarious with these documents. Journalists know Joe Biden wasn't trying to do anything nefarious with his documents. And then I went on to say, well, if that's the case, then did we overcover, overdramatize, go to DEFCON 1 on the Trump case, even though his case is very different for reasons that most of you know. Long subpoena battle, kept saying he was going to, he said he didn't have to turn over the documents because he declassified them. And then, of course, the FBI court-approved search uh, that found another 100 classified documents. Putting that aside, as I said, I don't think he could be charged now, Um, and nor will Biden and nor will Pence. So Will came back at me and said, no, I disagree with you that uh, Joe Biden didn't intend anything nefarious, because what about Hunter Biden? Here we have Hunter Biden uh, paying rent and sometimes using the same house where these classified documents existed. And... You know, fair debating point, but I think it was moving the goalposts a little bit. Because I'm not saying that Hunter Biden, who's already, by the way, under criminal investigation and has been for some time, um, isn't a worthy subject of further investigation. And if there are, if there is evidence that then Vice President Joe Biden was helping his son with his overseas buck raking and get contracts with China and Ukraine and so forth, for which he was clearly unqualified, go at it. You know, I'm not defending that at all, but I was just talking about these particular documents, and they completely, totally bungled it, as I've talked about for days, and turned the press against them. But I was just saying there was nothing nefarious in that. They did the right thing. They they called the FBI. They turned it over to the archives. It, It wasn't, you know, and therefore Hunter Biden is okay, but that was the debate that we had. Meanwhile, uh, Kevin McCarthy was on uh, Face the Nation yesterday. And if you don't think he's a shrewd politician, uh, he said he's meeting with President Biden uh, on Wednesday. They're going to talk about this debt ceiling business. You know, we've already breached the debt ceiling, but the Treasury can do certain things up till about June to make sure the U.S. government doesn't default. And he says, we'll come up with a a reasonable and responsible way uh, to deal with this. So that says to me that McCarthy knows that the GOP is getting stung by President Biden and Democratic attacks that, you know, you want to risk the credit of the country uh, 
with because you won't negotiate about spending cuts when everybody knows full well that Donald Trump, under Donald Trump, the debt ceiling was raised three times without any demands by the Democrats because Democrats don't like government shutdowns or uh, defaults. Uh, so McCarthy understands this, and ultimately they'll work it out. You know, he'll he'll get some kind of safe face-saving thing, and they'll work it out. Also, McCarthy said that he, for purposes of this discussion or this round of talks, he would take Social Security and Medicare off the table because he knows there's a vulnerability there too uh, about whether those should be cut because there are certain proposals to do that. And then there are other GOP proposals for a flat tax uh, or I should say national sales tax, abolish the IRS and so forth. You know, all this gets used in politics against uh, the opposition party, even if most members of the opposition party don't agree to it. Um, interesting piece in the New York Times on Matt Gates, And it's by Robert Draper, who I think has become the Times' this sort of ambassador to the hard right wing of the Republican Party, because he's the one who has interviewed Marjorie Taylor Greene at length, got her to talk about, you know, her... This is before even the speaker vote, her alliance with Kevin McCarthy and not wanting just to be a bomb thrower and renouncing some of the QAnon conspiracy theories that she once embraced, something I talked to her about in my interview with her as well. So uh, Draper sets the scene where, you know, Gates was making these demands before he would allow McCarthy to become speaker, such as allowing one single lawmaker, anybody, to essentially trigger a snap vote on whether he should remain speaker. Uh, also... Uh, getting one-third of the seats on the Rules Committee for people um, in that Freedom Caucus conservative faction. And any lawmaker has the power to force changes if, uh, on votes to government spending, which I actually happen to sort of agree with because there, you know, the, the, this prospect of these $2 trillion bills being voted on the last minute, nobody knows what the hell is in it, is just bad government. And if you can limit amendments to, you know, if you're talking about money being spent on the Pentagon, then let's deal with the Pentagon and let's not throw in abortion or the border or whatever. Okay. So anyway, um, Gates, you know, the premise of the piece is that Gates' stature is now elevated because he got these concessions from McCarthy. There is this killer quote from uh, editor of the National Pulse and British political activist Rahim Kassam who says that of Gates, he handed McCarthy a blunt knife and forced him to castrate himself on national television. And then the piece asks, well, you know, is he going to assert himself on substance or still basically just blow things up? And Draper interviews Gates, and Gates says, look, I'm not some Lord of the Flies nihilist. I want to bring uh, egalitarianism, he says, to the legislative process. As a conservative, he wants greater transparency uh, when it comes to spending. Um, and then he was asked about the debt ceiling. He was asked about Ukraine. He said, well, we'll see, because, you know, he doesn't want to get locked into positions. So maybe, you know, I, I don't know how Gates will proceed with this newfound influence, but I do think it's important for newspapers like the New York Times to engage him and MTG and the others rather than just writing them off as a joke because they are now a power center within the Republican Party just as the squad is and has been a power center within the Democratic Party. Story three, Donald Trump. So Trump had originally posted this on Truth Social, and then when he did his events, smaller-scale events, uh, on Saturday in both New Hampshire and South Carolina, 
that actually said this in South Carolina. If I was president, there would not have been a war with Russia and Ukraine. Okay, well, he can boast about a hypothetical. We don't know. And then he says, I would have a peace deal negotiated within 24 hours. You could make a peace deal. So I don't know why the former president, at a time when Joe Biden is trying to manage this war and the Western alliance, feels necessary. I mean, I do know why. It's, you know, it's self-aggrandizing. You know, I would get Putin. What is he going to get Putin to do? Like pull out all his troops? And then he posted something, it's either last night or today, seemingly out of the blue, that said, remember in Helsinki, there was the Putin-Trump summit, when a third-rate reporter asked me, essentially, who I trusted more, President Putin of Russia or our intelligence lowlifes? My instinct at the time was that we had really bad people in the form of James Comey, McCabe, whose wife was being helped out by Crooked Hillary while Crooked was under investigation, Brennan, Peter Strzok, whose wife is at the SEC, and his lover, Lisa Page, now add McGonagall and other slime to the list. Who would you choose, Putin or these misfits? So McGonagall, for those who don't remember, is the guy who was sort of a top FBI counterintelligence operative in New York who then ended up, according to the indictment, um, being paid off by a Russian oligarch to do his bidding. So I don't blame Donald Trump for going off on this guy McGonagall. But at a time when Vladimir Putin, having invaded Ukraine for no reason other than his grand territorial ambitions, having committed war crimes, in my view, having uh, continuing to you know bomb apartment buildings, I mean, he's bombed everything, churches and uh, hospitals with so many civilian casualties. How does a former president of the United States say, well, I would still choose Putin over our intelligence lowlifes? Is he so wrapped up with his grievances about people in the intel committee who thinks we're unfair to him that he's actually taking Putin's side? And then the related question is, why isn't this getting more attention? I mean, he is the only declared candidate for president. And I think the answer is because he's not, because he's still sort of relegated to the sidelines, having not yet gotten onto Facebook and having not yet decided to go on Twitter. And maybe it's more than that. Um, I mentioned Friday there was be an election for RNC chair and that Ronna McDaniel, Trump's original pick in 2016, would probably win. And she did. I mean, she won easily uh, with 111 committee members to 51 for her challenger, Harmeet Dillon. And that was why I questioned why 24 hours before the vote, Ron DeSantis would come in and say, no, we should be Harmy Dillon. We, should, we need to change direction and everything. I mean, he just didn't have enough time to have an impact. And also, uh, you know, I think McDaniel had it locked up at that point. If you win 111 to 51, that is not a close race. Um, so again, even if you don't care about the RNC race, I do think it has signs of larger things. So Harvey Dillon says, we did not expect this to become a national grassroots movement. I'm committed to healing, coming together with folks. But if our party is perceived as totally out of touch with the grassroots, we have some work to do. Uh, so that was what happened with the RNC. Also, the, she ran into problems because one of her surrogates was Charlie Kirk, uh, the hard right guy from uh, Turning Point USA. And 
she had to reassure people that he wouldn't be hired by the RNC. Um, and maybe he should have played a lower profile role. Um, Kirk himself says, I think the RNC is going to have a lot of trouble raising small dollar donations. Um, also Carrie Lake got involved, uh, or I should say Carolyn Wren, who is a big GOP donor who ran Carrie Lake's failed gubernatorial campaign in Arizona. She still thinks that she won the election. Um, that also muddied the waters. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Let me get to number four. Uh, this is a piece by Elizabeth Spears. It's an op-ed story about having to do with all these tech layoffs, which are really starting to piss me off and pissing her off as well. So let me read from her op-ed. So you may have heard me talk about the tech layoffs. Google's parent company, that's Alphabet, announcing it's laying off 12,000 people. That's about 6% of the workforce. Now, some of the people who were let go had worked for the company for decades, and they got the news in their inbox. A Google engineer named Jer- Jeremy Joslin tweeted, It's hard for me to believe that after 20 years at Google, I unexpectedly find out about my last day via an email. What a slap in the face. And I agree with that. Um, Spears writes in this New York Times piece, The sting is becoming an all-too-common sensation. Tens of thousands of people are being laid off from, you know, digital-type companies with emails, including Twitter, Amazon, Meta, Vox. Um, And, you know, she goes on to say that it's it's not just tech. You know, companies in different industries say, well, you know, the most efficient way to do layoffs is just to tell everybody at the same time. And, you know, it's risky to let them stick around because they might use their access to internal systems to sabotage. So, excuse me. But these people were good enough to work for you, and now you're basically slapping them in the face, and you don't trust them, and you got to get rid of them by email because they might go in and try to blow things up. And Spears says, look, I've managed people in newsrooms and startups. I've hired and fired people. I think this approach is not just cruel, but unnecessary. You know, okay, if you want to terminate access to company systems, fine. But delivering the news with no personal human contact serves one purpose, letting managers off the hook. Yes, of course, because these are difficult conversations to have. It ensures they will not have to face the shock and devastation that people feel when they lose their livelihoods. Um, And, you know, the idea that they're going to sabotage the system, you know, why not treat them like human beings? Uh, This is like a low point in their life. If managers interact directly with their workers in everyday business, there's no reason to believe that would suddenly be impossible when it's time to lay them off. She tells a story about the first time she had to do this. She was 25, and she ended up feeling nauseated during the conversation, and the person she was firing ended up comforting her. But her larger point is absolutely true. Like, we just take it for granted. I mean, I guess this is true in dating also, right? You you just send somebody a text, and that's it. You're done with them. Um... Last point on this, uh, employees 
in all kinds of jobs are routinely pressed to give the maximum that they can in low-wage service jobs. That can mean insane, unpredictable hours, no benefits at the higher-paying tech jobs. It can mean sacrificing any semblance of a life outside the office. So you're giving your all to a company, and then, you know, and you're expected to give two weeks' notice. Maybe that's the kind of a thing of the past. And then it's like, boom, you're gone. Like, you don't even get a chance to send out a company-wide email, you know, saying goodbye to people. It is cruel. It is unnecessary. And I'm glad she called it out. Okay, this last one, story number five, I would say is kind of tabloidy, except it's in the Wall Street Journal. So we got to take it seriously. It's about spying on Spotify. Believe me, I had no idea this was even a thing. When we play songs on Spotify to get us through the day, they can be intimate and sometimes publicly visible, the journal informs us. Many people have shared settings enabled on their music streaming service, making it easy for friends or strangers to find out what they're listening to and um, kind of like how they're doing or what they're, how they're feeling. A guilty pleasure, um, a repeat listen or a playlist name can reveal personal information to those who are snooping. Well, I guess it's not quite snooping because obviously it's up to the person who has the playlist, whether that's public or not. But to continue with this investigative reporting, people who have been Spotify snooping have been coming clean on TikTok. Some users have posted videos detailing how they discovered their crush is dating someone, while others have shared tips on how to do some snooping of your own. Regina Tickle, uh, excuse me, Regina Tikolu, 18-year-old college student in Colorado, says she has done some Spotify snooping to form deeper bonds with friends and acquaintances, also sometimes to check up on people who are no longer in her life. When she found out her ex-boyfriend was listening to a Glimpse of Us by Joji, a song about starting to date again after a relationship ended, boom! Because he played the song so soon after their breakup, it led her to believe the two events were related. It does lead me to overthink a lot. Finally, um, she says that the plus side, I guess, is that it helps figure out it helps you figure out how to start a conversation with someone or what you might bring up on a date, if there is a date. I can tell a lot about someone just by their music taste, she says. Um, sometimes they take screenshots and shame each other, like when a manager is listening to Nicki Minaj's Super Freaky Girl for the 100th time. Imagine that. Well, I guess if you're really into music and you're really into Spotify and you don't want people snooping on you, you could just set your things to private. I don't know how complicated that is. Or you can just say, hey, I'm letting it all hang out. And if you want to read things into how my life is going based on what I'm listening to, you know, be my guest. You know, no such thing as privacy anywhere anyway. So I thought that was worth uh, a wrap-up piece for this podcast. Once again, hope you had a good weekend. If you didn't uh, see some of Media Buzz, most of those segments are now online. Uh, talk about ripping up the show. I know I tell you that every Friday morning. I mean, we had to completely rip up the show with both the developments. Ironically, on the same day, the footage being released of the attack on Paul Pelosi and the failed beating, beating excuse me, of Tyree Nichols. Um, but, you know, that's the nature of live television. you got to stay on top of it. it. Things are changing right up until the point where you go on the air. So thanks for spending this time. 
Uh, I get a great kick out of it. I hope you do as well. We'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.